Businesses thrive by knowing customer insights because today's insights are tomorrow's facts. At iResearch, we live and breathe insights. And despite searching high and low, we were unable to find a customer insights podcast that answers one of the most important questions in business. Why do customers do what they do? So we launched one. Hi, I'm your host, Darshan Mehta. Joining us today is Luca Papovac. He is currently leading the customer experience at Grain Corporation in Australia. But prior to that, he was the head of customer experience at McDonald's and Volkswagen Group in Australia. He is definitely a passionate person who believes in the customer experience. And I think you're going to see that come through in our conversation today. Welcome, Luca. How are you today? Good, thanks. How are you? Excellent, excellent. So tell me about your journey and how you got into the space of customer experience and where you are now, if you don't mind. Tell us a little bit about your personal journey getting to where you are now. So my background came really from the marketing field, in particular digital marketing. Spent most of my early part of my career in a very traditional role where my job was basically generate new business through a marketing function. To think of like I literally started folding letters and putting in envelopes and doing direct mail and that became email and CRM and things of that nature. And that was kind of my career path. I spent probably a better part of first seven or eight years of my career doing that. And I really saw customer experience as a really tactical thing. So, you know, it was almost like, you know, there's a big transition between customer service and customer experience type thinking. For me, customer experience was almost like, well, it's the thing you do to help customers when something goes wrong, right? It's very much the end bit of the process. And, you know, honestly, in a lot of organizations, I think that's kind of what it was maybe 10, 15 years ago as well. So, yeah, and I had my aha moment, you know, about 10 years into my career. I was the head of product at Volkswagen Group Australia. And that meant I was doing presentations to stakeholders, including the press around the type of cars we were launching. So if you imagine yourself being on stage with the lights and the cameras and action and the whole thing in front of journalists. And my aha moment or moment when I started thinking about customer experience differently was when the Dieselgate situation unfolded, like right in that room, right when I was in front of people. And experiences post that maybe reconsider, hey, customer experience, I think, is a bigger shift and a much bigger opportunity for businesses to rethink how they approach everything they do, including the end bit of customer service. So having said that, tell me, what is the definition of customer experience now that you've made the shift from before to now? And how is it still evolving? It is one of those things that people have their own definition of. And I want to be respectful for that. But for me, it's a concept that helps the company orientate towards truly serving the needs of its customer base. And it's not just a case of saying, well, the people who talk to the customer, i.e. customer service people, we need to make sure they're well-trained, they've got the resources. I mean, that's a part of it, but it actually starts all the way up at the vision and the mission of the company. Is it truly aligned to what its customer base today and tomorrow is serving? Once you've got the vision and the mission right, then to me, it's about leadership. And it's certainly my experience, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts, but it's very rare to see a company that's focused on the customers and then you meet its leaders and they're not. You know, and I have lots of retail experience of this where working in franchises, I could walk into a Volkswagen showroom, a McDonald's restaurant, and within about 10 minutes, I could tell you their CX score or a customer's NPS score just by meeting the leadership team there. It starts from there. And if you don't have that right, then it's really hard. And I think finally, the missing link in a lot of businesses where I think now is being finally realized is employee and customer experience and how do they interact together? So quite often it's been the sense of, okay, we need to make sure our employees are doing the right thing by the customers. But the question before that is, are we doing the right thing by our employees? 
Are we empowering them? Are we setting them up for success? You know, there's always the whole thing of smile while you're giving people like a terrible experience. You know, it doesn't help anybody, right? It just burns your people out. So to kind of summarize to me, the shift from customer service to experience has been alignment of the organization all the way from its vision, leadership, employees, and then ultimately what the customer experiences. So I think you bring up an interesting thought for me. Let's split the alignment for a second and tell me about the customer experience from the company perspective, right? But there's also the customer experience from the customer's perspective. And I think they're quite different. So tell me the company perspective, then let's talk about the customer perspective, and then let's talk about the alignment that's necessary because they're quite different. They are, and there's a really interesting economic decision to be made in between those two as well. So if you take everything through to the end, you know, I want everything for free and for it to be exceptionally great. You know, I want to jump on an airplane. I want first-class service. And I want to like to play an economy fair, right? That's kind of one extreme. On the other hand, an airline might say, okay, you know what? We want our customers to show up 10 hours before the flight to make sure we can board this thing as quickly as possible because we'll turn our planes around quicker, right? So I think the challenge, so from a customer experience point of view, I think there is a lot of science in actually trying to figure out where is this middle ground of mutual value creation for both of us. So where do the set of needs that you have and the company's ability to deliver really align? If you take that from a company point of view, being clear in who your customer is now and into the future is really important. And I think here the biggest opportunity most organizations have is to move beyond these like top-line stereotypes. You know, we serve the premium end of the segment or we're a value-driven company. Like, okay, do you really understand who your customers are? What are their actual behaviors? You know, to sort of plagiarize Clayton Christensen, what job are you serving? Like, what's the job to be done that you're serving for them? And then from a customer point of view, I think it's fascinating, right? People have different needs. One of the most interesting things I learned about in the automotive industry, you know, people had this idea of what a premium customer looked like. You know, the people who buy European vehicles and only go for the best. And we used to say, well, okay, they must be into opera and fine arts and da 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 But when you look at their buying behavior, what you also found is that almost the majority also had a really budget brand of vehicle in their garage sitting next to their very premium car. So what I told you actually that their needs were very different. And in your one hand, you may be serving a need around status or performance or luxury or comfort. And the other one might be around affordability and practicality and space. So being cognizant around where, again, like how do those two needs from what the customer actually needs in this moment and the organization's ability to deliver to it, where do they actually meet? That's the golden spot for me. In terms of the company perspective, right? You talk about customer experience should start at the very top, right? Ultimately, the customer experience is with the frontline people, right? But I know what you mean, but I want you to explain more of that. And tell me where most companies at the top level still don't get customer experience. And what are the three things they need to know to truly understand what you're talking about in terms of understanding customer experience? I think you're right. A lot of people get stuck in the analytics and the numbers. That's just one perspective. So I want you to Flesh that out a bit more. So I think that's a very interesting point you're making there. Let's start maybe with the bottom of the more granular bit, which you said there around data analytics, right? For a lot of organizations, if you read the annual report, they'll say oh, NPS is whatever the number they use, and that's what they think customer experience is. I'm measuring the experience, whether it's transactional or relationship of the customer engagement I have at this point in time. And that's, I think, sort of the kernel. But if you go all the way up, the reason to focus on customer's experience is because any senior leader has to make massive capital investment decisions based on a view of the future. 
So let's say you and me have to create a, we're going to launch a new car. We're going to build it from scratch and we're going to take a piece of land. We're going to build a factory. We're going to build a supply chain. We're going to contract shipping and parts. We're going to spend $20 billion of building this beautiful new car. And that is a commercial bet based on the idea that eventually some customer somewhere will want to actually buy this car at the price and the spec and the style we've, we've made. So I think what most leaders understand is that it's not just a very tactical measure of what's happened. It's a key input into capital allocation, into strategic planning, into the entire vision and the purpose of the company. If you don't intuitively understand those things, and again, not at a superficial level, but a really detailed level, and where it's going to go, how are you making those bets? It would be the equivalent of us going, hey, we're going to build a brand new factory, but we don't know anything about lean manufacturing. But we've got this one number that we kind of know that it's a good indicator. And we'll put in our annual report, but we'll build this factory. And we just hope that, you know, our lean is at 28 rather than 27. We're smashing this out. And that's what I think to me, when I hear really strategic leaders talk about this and they get it, they're using customer experience as a key leading indicator or input into their like serious decision making. So when I'm hearing customer experience on the corporate side, I'm actually thinking what you're saying, and then correct me if I'm wrong, is you really need to understand the underlying behaviors and motivators of the customer. That's what you're talking about from the corporate side, right? In terms of customer experience, right? And that starts at the very top if they understand that. And that there's always a disconnect there a bit as well, right? Because that really requires some other skill sets in terms of empathy, listening, and really stepping out of their shoes of, as corporate, but actually saying, what's it like to be a customer, right? So I think you're really talking about the underlying motivators, triggers that are actually driving behavior. And of course, that can change over time, but there's always a certain core amount that's there. And I think once you understand that, you're saying it can help you better connect the dots moving forward, even though that's not an exact science. But the better you can do that, the better your decisions are going to be and likelihood of success will be greater. Would you say that's a correct assessment? Absolutely. And I think the challenge for larger corporations is the bigger you get, the more layers there are between people making decisions and customers usually. Again, if you and I are running a, a burger stand or taco truck, you know what? If our product sucks and people hate it, we're going to know about it pretty quickly, right? But if you own a franchise business that you have 4,000 taco trucks all around the world and the data's flowing in and you're a publicly listed company and you have to be in front of investors and banks and lawyers all day, the system will, over time, create barriers to you having that intimate understanding that you used to be able to have when you were the taco guy and you were putting, like, you know, I was serving the sauce and you were making the meat, whatever. You know, we knew what was going on. Now we're big corporate types. So the challenge isn't just to be like, yeah, you've got to be empathetic. You've got to systemize access to this data. You've got to systemize the ability to consume it, to understand it, and to drive that understanding alignment all the way from an exec all the way down to the front line at one of your 5,000 taco trucks around the world. Well, I think you bring up a great example of food. You know, often if I was to ask people, what's the number one factor in being successful with a food or restaurant? Most people would say the quality of the food, right? And there's no doubt that's a big factor. But I would argue there's actually one more factor above that, and that's service. Yeah. Right? I mean, I've seen places where they have so-so food, but great service, and you still go there. Right. And I've seen places that have great food and poor service, and you will not go back. And so that I think gives us a good transition to the customer experience. So, where does the customer experience actually begin? Well, see, you always have these sort of traditional marketing models. You know, is it awareness, interest, da 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 da? In reality, given again, for most of the listeners to this, if you're living anywhere sort of in a semi 
call it developed world, you're continuously being bombarded and have awareness of what a company represents, even if you've never used it, right? Like there are so many brands that I'm fully aware of and I probably will never, like I've never driven a Harley Davidson, for example, and I've never really been in a showroom, but I have a pretty clear idea what a Harley Davidson customer experience must feel and look like. And so I think it starts even way beyond where more, most organizations think about it. And if you think about the food example, let's say you and me are running this restaurant. We may define our service experience for our customer when they walk in the door. But if you flip that around, the customer experience started when, where do I choose? Let's say I made a decision. I'm coming to, you know, Dash and Luca's Paco stand. Can I find it? Can I park? What's the queue like? Is it disorganized? Is somebody cutting in? What happens afterwards? Is there enough refuse bin? Recycle it if that's the way I'm orientated. So it's actually much, much wider. And the customer experience doesn't start with the direction of the company. It's when your ecosystem begins to kick in. Well, nowadays, often you're going to actually go look it up and look at the reviews first, right? I mean, that's often going to be the first thing, right? <laughs> right? So you're not only, your experience is beginning actually at the tail end of other people's experiences, right? Very much so. Very much so. And there's some really interesting research now. You know, there's obviously a lot of work being done to understanding what's the impact between experience and recommendation. And there's a sense of like loyalty drives recommendation. And it might well, but there's also the sense of novelty drives recommendation, right? So if let's say the first time you and I flew a new airline, like, oh my gosh, it was fantastic. I've never done it before. It's really fantastic. Like, you know, so there's all these other, uh, to your point, managing those experiences, understanding how those influence new customers is really important. So for example, if you flip it around from a customer point of view, there's a lot of value of understanding how the first time a customer interacted with you, how their experience and their journey actually went. Why is that? It's because most big companies in particular almost expect the customer to know how to deal with them. It's almost like they train you to be like, no, 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 you know, forget <laughs> whatever your favorite airline is, you have to download the app, you got to click this button, it doesn't make sense, that's the button we need you to kick, da, 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 da. Again, going back from a customer's point of view, quite often that initial trial piece is the bit that's actually most difficult to manage and is most stressful on a personal level. Yeah, and I think we're talking about it's very true that the customer experience starts long before they've even interacted with the product. As you said, you know, they've heard about it. They've maybe even read about it. They already have some impressions. And then they're going to dig deeper by looking at reviews, talking to their friends, family, whatever. And then at some point, after maybe several steps, they may actually interact with the company. Then the actual experience begins in terms of the contact. And then where does it end? Hopefully it never does, right? That's that's the idea of customer experience is, you know, I send you a product, you know, you upload it onto my socials, I interact with you. That's where you see the extension of products becoming services, becoming experiences, right? The idea is to actually extend that. I may have sent you a, a Fitbit a device that used to be a watch you put on your hand, you never hear back from the company. Now it's an app and now we have interactions and challenges and that's where customer experience, I think, is stretching engagement. So the next time you think about a repurchase, hey, we're already friends. Yeah, I would agree. I would say that customer experience then should lead to engagement, but there's pros and cons with engagement <laughs> because that's when the company starts hearing the truth from customers, the things they like and don't like. But I often think that ones that give you the hard facts and the things that they're not happy about are still fans, actually, because they've taken the time to tell you something, but they're actually, in a way, even though they don't say it, they think and they're hoping you can actually fix it. 100%. Any organization, any feedback, whether it's employee or customer, no matter where it sits on the spectrum, it should be valued like gold. And you would say, and there's lots of research around this, around recovering customers and them feeling even better than if they didn't have an issue. 
But overall, the idea that like people are actually taking the time to tell you, particularly if they're constructive about it, I mean, that's crucial. Again, the bigger you get, the more likely you are not to know that there's an issue somewhere on this massive production line or chain or service experience. So yeah, it's amazing. You would have to pay consultants to go and audit your work or otherwise. Think of the free labor that you're actually getting from these customer feedback surveys. So if there's anybody here listening who isn't really focused on that, both the positive feedback and what you can learn and how you can use it to energize your team, but also feedback where it's constructive and you can use it to drive change within organizations. It's crucial. Yeah, often actually those are the kernels that lead you to where there's an opportunity for innovation, actually. 100%. Yeah, you have to. So I'm curious. You're running Luca Worldwide. And what percentage of time would you say that you should be spending on customer experience when you're at the head of Luca Worldwide? You could give a really big answer here and say it's 100% everything you do. <laughs> but let's be honest, right? As a CEO, you're going to have a bunch of, let's say, legal, financial disclosure type meetings, compliance. So if you're well, the bigger you get, particularly the more senior you get, is wrapped up in things that you legally or financially have to do. I would say rather than giving a percentage, I would challenge anybody in those positions. Think about how they can integrate customer experience into everything they do. So I was recently at a, an event and there was a CEO of an organization. And a part of what he does is he has an entertainment-based business. There's lots of people coming in and out of his business. And he effectively walks the halls and he has one coffee a week with a customer. So he has a voucher in his pocket. He's a family. He goes, hey, it's hot out. I'll take you to any of these places. I'll buy you a coffee. Ask you for the kid if I can have 10 minutes of your time. And that's one of the ways that CEO, with only 20, 15, 20 minutes a week, gets it right from the end customer, right? And the end customer might say X, Y, and Z, and then he'll go and sense check that and check the data, of course, and call and quant and all that. But that's a small example of how you can build it in. Because I could easily say, oh, a quarter of your time should be spent in this and this and this, but that's just not realistic. The question for most senior leaders, no matter what their function is, let's say you and I are operational people or legal people or whatever it is, how can you get closer to the end customer, get real experience, and be curious about what you're hearing? Yeah. The reason I ask that question, I think most people often think about, I need to spend X amount of time on customer experience, but they're not recognized. That's not the importance. The importance is you need to strive to understand the customer. You're never going to understand them 100%, but you just strive to understand them the best you can on a regular basis. Whether that takes 5%, 10%, 20%, it doesn't matter. The goal is to actually have a deeper understanding of your customer because that's where you're going to be able to understand the experience. It's not necessarily the time you spent just on customer experience. Fully agree. And if I can piggyback off it, if you are in a, in a position of power, if you're a leader, the next thing I would say is your next role would be how are you setting a standard and adhering to it? You know, the whole idea of standard you walk past and standard you accept. And I think in most organizations, in most areas of the world, ultimately, we are still in some sort of power structure. And most people still tend to take cues from above. Of course, that's in human nature, right? So I think a lot of cases, some of those little things that we spoke about can be really deeply symbolic, not just for yourself, but the wider team around you. So let's say you're my CEO, and I see that you're taking the time to ask really curious questions that you're questioning, that you're taking the time to talk to frontline team members, you understand what our customers are thinking, you're out there. I don't really have an excuse if my boss is doing it and you can find the time, that begins to drive down the chain, right? Everybody's going looking up going, okay, well, if so-and-so can find the time, I have to turn. And that's how you can set a standard with some simple actions that are clear and visible and actually being really clear, like, hey, this matters to me and I'm going to continue to do it. I'm going to be consistent. And that can drive 
a little bit of that curiosity within the organizations around, oh, okay, cool, what can we learn today? Yeah. So one of the things I've talked about in a book I wrote is that people today are no longer buying products. They're buying experiences. And I'm sure you'd agree, but I'd like you to flesh that out in terms of what that means to you and what it means to our listeners. Yeah, I mean, there's different ways to attack that. You can look at sort of consumer psychology. You can look at what role consumerism plays in our world. You can look at sort of the rise of identification, how people like to express themselves, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Here in Australia, for example, you had a choice of two cars, basically. You could have Holden or a Ford, a GM or Ford, and then effectively you could have two or three different cars in four or five colors and whole streets and suburbs looked exactly the same, more or less, right? There were some exceptions, but... 70% of cars were basically two cars and had 70% market share. In Australia today, there are something like 55 different brands of cars, just brands for a million vehicles sold, right? So you can take that 10 different models with hundreds of different options. So just if you look at that, what it tells you straight away is people are not just buying things for the functional. I don't need to just go from A to B anymore. So why are they? Why do they want this you know, individualism? Well, they want that experience. They want to be able to project something about themselves. And that's a vehicle, that's a phone, that's the choice of movies I watch, music I listen to. Everything's become around who you are as a person and how does a product or service begin to express who I am. And how that experiential aspect is also dovetailed fully into that massive societal change. And you can think of all sorts of organizations that are beginning to stretch that relationship so much more into experience. And I don't think it's a trend that's going to go away anytime soon. I think it's fascinating to see what the new generations will expect from an experience point of view. And certainly one of the things that I'm really curious about is how will things like sustainability begin to play into something like experience? So let's say product packaging. You bought something from me. I said, this beautiful package. It's wonderful. And, you know, this is what we would usually think of premium experience or the customer follow-up is fantastic, but actually it creates a huge carbon footprint. There's a ton of plastic left over. Uh, none of it's recyclable. And the product itself isn't actually sustainable by the way it works. I would wager, and I'll hopefully be alive to find out, but in 20 and 30 years' time, that will not be seen as a great customer experience. I think the consumers that are coming up next will judge that in a much more balanced way than potentially some of the consumers today, certainly my generation. So I think what experience is will change, but I think you can always go into what's the zeitgeist to get a sense of what those expectations are. What are the values of the people that you're actually serving today? Yeah, I agree with you. I think you bring up an interesting point. I think this generation that's coming up and through the experiences they've had, you know, that we've already had. But I think they're striving for something that often has not been done in the corporate world. And that is, they're striving for balance, right? Yeah. They're striving for a balance between a company wanting to make money, but also a company being a good steward of the environment, but also a good steward of employee relationships and, you know, balancing that. So I think that's going to be a key word more and more for companies to think about how do we strive for that balance? And I think that's what you're ultimately saying. Absolutely. And then I would say, how do you do that in a real and genuine and authentic way? Because I think certainly what I'm seeing and hearing from this new generation is you can't just sort of give vague statements. They want to get specific. They want to know exactly what you're doing and how you're doing it. And I think the pressure for a lot of businesses will be um, how do we create that sense of transparency and openness within our organizations in a way that probably we're not used to. And it's not because maybe people are not hiding, but, you know, I don't know what it's like in other parts of the world, but here in Australia, for example, you can buy an egg carton and scan and you can get a video of the farm on which it's been sourced, right? If you forget about the technology bit, but if you tried to explain it to your grandparents, you know, who went to a supermarket or your parents and just used to buy eggs 
from the two eggs that were available. And then you could actually go back and see the chicken that later. They'll be like, you're insane. What are you talking about? But that's happening because consumers want it. That's, that people want to know where's their food coming from. Is it sustainable? To your point, are the employees looked after well? Is the environment looked after? So I think, yeah, it's really fascinating. I think the experience is going to have to get much more balanced, much more genuine and transparent. You know, I have not experienced that. I think I'd love to see that experience with buying eggs. And that brings up a lot of interesting things because one, I mean, I think that's amazing that you can actually get a video of the farm that we're getting the eggs from. I think that's great because this goes back to the experience. Now you can personalize the experience in a way that's one-on-one with your customer, right? And you actually now are developing this engagement, this relationship, even if it's just about eggs, but it's important, you know? And the fact that you can do that now, because basically everybody's carrying a computer in their pocket, right? And so you have these amazing abilities to do these things, to bring the relationship between the ultimate maker of the product and the consumer and take it to all new levels. Again, that's going to come with like anything in the universe, positive and negatives. But I think if you can focus on the balance, the positives will outweigh the negatives. Yeah, and that's interesting. I would say I've been very skeptical on the true nature of one-to-one at scale. I think it's been talked about. I think I've seen examples of it. But I think what I've tried to do it myself, you just get smashed with complexity. The data sets get huge. Personalization models become really clunky. You end up developing 200 different customer journeys in your marketing automation tools, and everybody forgets what this thing's supposed to do. It's been a nightmare, but I fully agree with you. And some of the stuff that's happening, like literally in the last 12 months, and we don't need to get into AI and all the other stuff. But for the first time, being to see actually that could be possible because it won't be people trying to figure out what Dash and Luca want and what segment we belong to. They will be able to manage the complexity of 100,000 individuals in a data set and actually run customer journeys in an automated way. The humans just don't have the capacity. No matter how big your marketing team is or customer experience team, you can't have 200,000 automated customer journeys running. Or well, it's very difficult. Maybe somebody's doing it, but I don't know. I think the one-to-one thing is about to really take off in a true way where you'll be known in a really deep way. And once you get authenticated with a company, I don't know who you are via chat or voice, man, the, the technology that actually funneled up the computers will help us connect one-to-one. <laughs> in a really authentic way, in a very personalized way soon, which is a whole new thing we've got to get our head around. Well, even going back to this egg example, right? In a way, it's a one-to-one, but it's not true one-to-one, right? You see the video, it's a one-way communication, but still, that has impact. That has value, right? But there's an opportunity. If they want to interact with the company, they can always send an email or whatever. So I don't think one-to-one always has to be synchronous, right? It can be asynchronous, but that's all part of the experience, the one-to-one. And ultimately, they obviously need a way to communicate with you directly. I would advocate that, I don't know this a but I think it's a great idea, you know, that they often also get a lot of positive comments as a result of this video because are enlightened. So, hey, this is cool. This is fun. I get to see the farm. I get to see the people. And I can actually see the chickens, you know. And, yeah, I mean, I get it. <laughs> and you know what? That creates a commercial advantage too because these eggs are priced really – there's a premium positioning for those eggs. They're more expensive, right? So you kind of need some sort of pre-point. You know, egg is an egg in theory. If I put two on the bench, why don't you just pay 20% more for your egg versus my egg? Well, you could say, well, have a look at this, though. Because look at this. Look how happy it is. Where's your video of your chicken? You don't have one. So, you know, that's why I'm paying 20% more. So, yeah, absolutely. Where there's customer value, absolutely. Why not create that connection? Why not show them, hey, your experience extends beyond this commodity, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to take a step back to your career path. Let's start at Volkswagen. You did a while at Volkswagen. 
And maybe a couple of questions regarding that, but there's kind of a big one. This is related to what we're talking about. And that is when it comes to experience now, and we didn't want to talk about this one-on-one, it really requires two skill sets to make this happen. Mm -hmm. One skill set is engineering, and the other is actually marketing or understanding the customer. In school, engineers are not taught marketing. (laughs) And marketing people are not taught engineering. Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, you often are looking for people that are able to have a foot in both camps. I mean, that to me is the ultimate convergence of CX now, right? You really need both because you can't deliver one without the other. So my question to you is, you agree, how are you addressing that? Because that's a real challenge, isn't it? I'm recruiting for two people right now and I keep saying, I want this and then that and I keep saying one or the other. So it's a real tangible challenge. And if you look at the way organizations are structuring their customer journeys, we used to be able to get away with being some sort of silo. And even if we didn't present it to be a silo, it's still silo. But as journeys are cutting across and they're becoming nonlinear, you need everybody to have this multifunctional skill set. And you're right, a lot of people don't have it. You come with a specialty, everybody's got their own strengths and weaknesses. So I think it's a case of being able to find people who have the curiosity and ability to learn. And that's what I'm finding more and more. You know, it's When you're going out to recruitment, yes, you can get somebody with 20 years experience in one or the other or both, but I'd rather take somebody who's got 20 years of being able to show they are flexible, can learn, and are curious. And I know that sounds like templated, whatever nice stuff to say, but I genuinely do believe it. I genuinely do think that if you have the capability to learn and be curious, you will pick up enough of each aspect of this to be okay with it. Where I find people struggle, and I find that myself today, like I'm at a point in my career where I'm beginning to feel obsolete when I see all the new stuff coming out. I'm like, I was in a presentation, you know, somebody's like, I know how to do segmentation models, right? And then this new technology comes out and this person just basically goes, oh, yeah, you don't have to tell us. This, the, here it is. You upload all your data and the segments are created and you just type in, hey, I want to talk to 45-year-olds in New York who've recently bought this type of product and you just hit enter and you got a marketing campaign and you press three buttons and it's done. And I'm like, okay, there goes 10 years of my experience, right? <laughs> so I have to get comfortable. And that's what I'm working on certainly is, okay, cool. What is that going to help us do? So it's no longer about like hard knowledge, facts. You know, I've done this 10 times. It's like, okay, that's interesting. How do we learn about it? You know, you've got this agile flows in engineering and particularly computer engineering and IT. They're interesting. They don't always work in the way people want them. But overall, like, hey, how do you get a team that's willing to try new stuff, to learn, to experiment, to be curious, to not have a sense of your engineering or your A and I'm B? How do we collaborate together? And to wrap it all the way up to what we first talked about, where's the leadership for that? And here's my personal point, but I think it's true. Let's say you walk into my business and you say, Luca, talk about culture. And I can say, well, Dush, I'm all about innovation. This is the culture I want to have. And the way you would tell that's true or not, you would just go, okay, show me the last five people who got promoted. And if all of them are people who just did the tried and true, and the last three people who tried to innovate are out or they're being demoted or they're stuck in there, like, that's where it's about, right? So if you, to circle all the way back, you're not going to get this beautiful mixture of these two people. You have to have these two skill sets. You need people to learn. You need a culture that will allow them to learn. So if I try something and I make a mistake, my manager or the leader doesn't come along and go, actually, that's a career-limiting move. Going back to something you said about hiring people, that's really becoming quite a challenge in art now, right? Mm-hmm. And, and traditionally, you look at experience and stuff. The one thing I've learned to do for me in, in my business is 
I actually look for three things and then I say plus one. And those three things are, are they hungry? Are they thinkers? And are they doers? And it's not just the experience, it's just do they have those core skills? Because I can't teach that, right? They either kind of have it or they don't. I could maybe enhance it. I can maybe amplify it, but I can't teach it. And so the challenge is how do you gauge for that? But if you can gauge for those three things in terms of thinkers, doers, and hunger, chances are pretty good. You're going to have a pretty good candidate probably. But then the plus one is, and this is always a bit of a challenge because the person that actually interviews needs to have this too, right? And that is being philosophical. And I don't mean like, you know, pie in the sky, ivory tower. I'm actually talking about if you look up the meaning, it actually means critical thinking and knowing that there's more than one way to solve a problem. And it's finding people that recognize, hey, this problem is like you and I can sit here all day, Luca, and I guarantee you a problem will find you and I. <laughs> it will come, right? But the difference is, do you say, fine, no problem. I just love solutions or I am mired in the problem. And that is a key differentiator. I think that's what you're saying, right? Experience is one thing, but ultimately you need people that can think and solve problems because they're going to come no matter what. Absolutely. Let's go back to the 1950s, right? You and I are working on a production plant, making car parts or whatever it is, like, you know, manufacturing-based activities, which was basically what most people were employed with, certainly in the Western world. And your decision-making was like this small, very limited choices you can make. But now, more and more, what you're basically saying is, I'll hire you, I'll give you a set of problems, and I'll give you some base supervision and some a laptop and a phone, and I expect incredible results. That's the new baseline. So to your point, if they can't critically think, if they don't have their own self-drive, if they can't innovate, if they can't collaborate, then yeah, people are just not going to make it. It's the type of people we want working in customer experience. They need to be fairly self-resilient and be able to work through quite a lot of challenges. And typically, customer experience teams are not dozens or hundreds of people. It's usually lean teams that need to always outperform expectations. Is the worst way I'll put it. Yeah. So I just want to talk about two of your past experiences at Volkswagen. Tell me what are one or two standout aha moments that you had and how that has shaped you as you went forward. Because then you went to McDonald's and then you went to the next position you're at now. So I'm just curious how this kind of shaped you. And then I'll ask you the similar question at McDonald's if you don't mind. What are maybe some two aha moments you've had at Volkswagen that then really changed the way you think and the way you move forward? Yeah, look, I think certainly being at Volkswagen during some tough times made me really understand that customer experience is a true unlock of business value. It's not just a tactical tool you use when things go wrong. If you don't mind, explain what you mean by tough times, because maybe not everyone knows the tough time you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So I was a part of the Volkswagen Group Australia team during Dieselgate, which was this big sort of issue that was uncovered in the States, went all over the world. And while it didn't have anything to do with us here in Australia directly, it certainly impacted the brand and, and certainly my employee experience. It was, it was a shocking thing. I love the brand. I was always a big fan of the product. So even on a personal level, you kind of go, oh my gosh, what's going on? So it kind of really made me think, okay, marketing and product and all these great brand things, you know, the success of iconic brands is still contingent on the ability for a brand to serve its customers. And that to me was the first aha moment where I went, okay, for me to continue to grow in my mission and what I want to do in my life, I need to be able to understand both the brand, the product and technology and all the good stuff but crucially, how does that relate to the current customer? And that's kind of where I started my pivot away from marketing into customer experience at VW. So that was a, let's say, moment number one. Uh, McDonald's, uh, you know, I absolutely loved being a part of that team. And certainly one of the big aha moments to me was 
just how critical employee experience is. I'm not sure what it's like around the world, but here in Australia, number one will tell you about McDonald's. It's a great place for your kids to work. It is probably one of the best reputation when it comes to training of any company and every type anywhere here in the country. And it's the number one youth employer. So what I realized there was you've got 16 and 17-year-olds making huge financial decisions, running really complex businesses. They are sitting like, I'm not sure if any of your listeners or viewers have been inside a McDonald's and peek across. They've got like six diagnostic tools going in real time that it's telling them their relative speed against another thousand restaurants, their financial performance. They're expected to know what's happening in their business, like within a, a level of detail that I didn't think was possible. And these, again, like 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 20. Like these people are young. These people are outside of this world. You know, you would just about be learning how to drive and, you know, take on some basic responsibilities. But within the McDonald's system, they're able through employee experience and being really intentional to really set them up for success at a huge scale, huge scale. So I think that was a big aha moment out of McDonald's to me was like, wow, if you really want great customer experience, you better have incredible employee experience. So, but it sounds like they really train them very early on. And that's a key part of it, right? Is the training and the understanding. It's, it's one thing to have these tools that they can look at, but if they don't know what to do with it, it's like, what's the point? But I think McDonald's is quite interesting because McDonald's has been very successful in delivering a consistent experience for customers throughout the world. But this is the first time I've actually, you know, from the inside perspective, they're trying to do that, but also empower a whole employee experience that enhances and maintains the customer experience. Very much so. And it starts with everybody. Sorry, I should say. I mean, so I came in from the outside, you know, never worked in a McDonald's franchise. In my first month, I spent three weeks working in a McDonald's store. This is how you make the fries. This is how you take phone. This is, you know, every step of the chain. And I, and I got the full training. And it wasn't just like sit in the corner and watch. It was like, right, you're making coffee. And we're going to sit here until you know learn how to make a good coffee. Because when I was back in the corporate team and I had to design processes, to improve customer experience, I knew what it felt like. So if let's say, for example, I said, hey, I want to introduce a new customer service standard, and that means everybody has to take five seconds to do this one extra thing. Five seconds, that sounds really easy. But when you are in the middle of a morning rush and you're making 50 coffees or, you know, like you're moving at a pace, that five seconds is an absolutely no-no. You know, and again, this was from the top. No matter who you were, no matter how senior you were, you would start your experience in a restaurant and you would get a genuine hands-on. You knew what it felt like to be in the middle of the lunch rush or dinner rush and you knew what it was like to work there first thing in the morning and to see the cars lining up. Like you really felt it. And when you were back in corporate in a big ivory time making decisions, you knew, hey, no, 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 that's not going to work. That's not the right thing for our employee. How do we make this customer process also work for the 110,000 people we've got out there on the front line? Actually, what I'm really hearing from you, this is really interesting, is that you actually became a better CX person because you learned to make a perfect coffee. Absolutely. I've taken that approach. That approach is certainly informed what I would do. If you said to me, hey, work with this business, my first thing would be like, I don't want to be in the office for the first month. Show me the call face. And genuinely, like if you're going to change the computer system somebody uses to log you on or the interface, the phone system, like you better spend a week on that phone. You better spend two weeks logging cases on that. You better know this stuff. And not just like, yeah, yeah, I sat in, I was checking my emails while I was on the phone. No, no, you better <laughs> sit there and take those calls. Because when you make that decision, you want to have that real tangible feeling. Yep, yep, absolutely. So I'm curious, what do you see as the future of customer experience and what areas are interesting you 
and you'd like to flush out more and, and dig deeper into? I'm a bit of a realist around customer experience. I think we have a significant challenge to still elevate the conversation. So I'll give you my positive view, which is I hope the future of customer experience is to move to a more of a strategic function. I don't mean that in the sense of the formal sense of having a chief customer officer in in our organization or that I think it's a part of it. It's customer experience penetrating those levels and being talked about the same level of interest and respect as finance or legal or brand. I think that's our ultimate issue. We need to get there. Otherwise, we will always be stuck in very transactional and executional discussions. I'll say it another way. I think what I'm hearing is you shouldn't let legal and accounting drive customer experience. You need customer experience driving customer experience. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Being hand in hand, right? A lot of it is driven oftentimes by accounting and legal, right? (laughs) For valid reasons. I understand that. However, there should be this layer of equal advocate of the customer experience. I know exactly what you're saying. I agree with you. (laughs) 100%, yeah. And there's different ways of doing that. You can say, well, those people in those functional areas will have a customer mindset. You could say, no, we'll have a dedicated customer mindset. There's different ways, but ultimately at that, or it could just be the CEO and a couple of the key execs who just have that absolute intent to focus on the end customer. Either way works, but you've got to have it. I was having legal and accounting. I also appreciate and bring in the customer experience and the solutions they're putting forward, right? 100%. It's never going to work. I mean, most people think the best idea they've ever heard is their own, right? Including myself. So if you are sitting on the outside of those teams and lobbying in ideas, it's not going to happen. So I fully agree. The other thing, without getting too deep into technology and large language models and AI, but there's some really incredible stuff happening. And each one of these technological revolutions have sort of opened up new ideas. But I genuinely think like what's happening right now is the biggest change I've seen in my career. And I think for anybody out there, I don't think the answers are known. I don't think we're at a solution stage, but there's a huge amount of stuff that's happening right now that any CX practitioner needs to get their head around and quick. Give me an example of the top three you're talking about. So probably the first one is, you know, how are we moving to real omni-channel? Omni-channel has always been discussed, this idea you can pick up a phone and then WhatsApp and then whatever. It's been really hard to scale truly. It's about to become real because, again, of the technology that's going to sit behind it. The way customer segmentation and data and insights is, again, traditionally being run in really sort of big waterfall type project ways. It's about to move to on-consumption, on-demand, business unit-led. So again, like you used to almost have to have a degree to pull up a customer segment. I'm seeing examples like literally today, this afternoon, where I'll be able to type that into a search box like Google, and that will be done for me. And then crucially, sitting underneath all that is ability to orchestrate all this at an incredible scale. So the complexity of this is really what's been holding us back. If you add data insights, you add communication, and underneath that, a huge ability to scale and personalize, it could be a very exciting five years to come. Hmm. So let me ask you, if you could have lunch or dinner with anybody in the CX world, who would it be and why? There's an organization here. It's like a government organization similar to your like DMV type organization. They're called Service New South Wales. It's the minister and the, and the exec team who manage that transformation here in Australia. Imagine DMV became the best respected service organization in the States. <laughs> That'd be unfathomable in the US. <laughs> but these guys did that here in Australia within three to five years. And I've had a chance to talk to them once in a while, but I actually like to sit down and understand the ins and outs of how they achieve that. So that's kind of my answer. It's not exactly aspirational. It's not like, you know, Elon Musk or anything. But I think tangible transformation of something exactly what you said. Like if you went back five years and said, these guys will do it, you'd get nobody listening to you. But they pulled it off and I want to know how. Interesting, interesting. 
Well, I want to thank you very much, Luca. I've enjoyed our conversation and look forward to continuing our discussion and come back to you at some point and learning more about CX. I can tell you're passionate about it, you love it. And it's something that really keeps you going too, because it's always changing and evolving, which is great. Absolutely, Dash. And I love chatting to you anytime. Thanks a lot. Getting to AHA was brought to you by iResearch. To find out more about us, head to iResearch.com. And make sure to search for Getting to AHA in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. And don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you for listening.